kingdom after it split into two parts, the capital city of Samaria was called Israel. Samaria was established by Omri, and she had in her past experienced some great moments. Samaria is the place that the great prophet Elijah had confronted the wicked Ahab and the cruel Jezebel. Samaria was the place that God had blinded the Syrian soldiers when they tried to capture Elisha. It is also the place that Naaman had gotten violently angry because Elisha refused to come out and meet with him to help him get a cure for his leprosy. In the end, this is the place that four lepers would find the Syrian armies had fled their camps and there was enough food to sustain the city of Samaria. But this is what happened in the very end. In my scripture setting today, Samaria is under siege. The city is surrounded by an enemy army. Their food supplies have been cut off. Their water supplies have been cut off. And while they're at the same time trying to defend their city, they're also trying to find anything that they could possibly eat to sustain their life. The famine was of such magnitude that hunger not only was affecting the people physically, but it now had begun to affect them mentally. The economy of Samaria at this time was just absolutely insane, for lack of a better word. For the head of an unclean, forbidden-to-eat donkey was being sold for 80 pieces of silver, 50 pieces of silver more than Jesus was betrayed for years later in the New Testament. The dried remains of dove dung, bird droppings was being sold for five pieces of silver to try to make some kind of a stew of sarts for the people to eat. Every day, the king in his efforts tried to encourage the people the best way he could. He would walk on the walls and call out to his people to try to keep their morale up in the midst of defending the city and trying to stave off starvation. So in our scripture setting today, he was walking on the wall and giving his usual motivational speech to the people. And a woman stopped him and began to tell her story. I made a deal with my neighbor. Today we will eat my son. Tomorrow we will boil your son and we will eat him. I know that this is an average congregation of people here today. And you say, Pastor, there is no way I could ever get hungry enough to do such a thing. I'm here to tell you today and history has proven that men, just because of hunger, will go to any degree. They will go to any degree necessary to put something in their belly. The Bible said in the book of Isaiah, and listen to the cry of Isaiah. In Isaiah 49 and verse 15, the Bible said, the Amplified Version said, Can a woman forget her nursing child that she should not have compassion 
on the son of her womb. Isaiah is saying that when it comes to motherhood, one of the most awesome attributes of motherhood is it is virtually impossible for a woman to forget her child no matter what her circumstances may be. This story would almost be too far-fetched to believe. But the fact remains that it did happen in Samaria one day when it was under siege and the people of that city were literally starving to death. Jeremiah the prophet had prophesied that it would take place there and it did. In the book of Lamentations chapter 4 and verse 10, the Bible said the hands of the pitiful women have sodden or boiled their own children. They were not their meat in the destruction of the daughter of my people. We are shocked at this sort of thing taking place. But I have to bring this up that the not too distant past has also noted its own share of cannibalistic behavior when people are hungry enough. There was a moment in our history. It's called the Donner Party. The Donner Party, sometimes called the Donner Reed Party, was a group of American pioneers who set out for California in a wagon train. Delayed by a series of mishaps, they spent the winter of 1846 and 1847 to cannibalism to survive, eating those who had succumbed to starvation and sickness. The journey west usually took between four and six months. But the Donner Party was slowed by following a new route called the Hastings Cutoff, which crossed the Utah's Wasatch Mountains and the Great Salt Lake Desert. The rugged terrain had difficulties later that they encountered while traveling along the Humboldt River in the present-day Nevada. It resulted in the loss of many cattle, wagons, and contributed to divisions within the group. By the beginning of November 1846, history says the group had reached the Sahara, Nevada, where they became trapped by an early heavy snowfall near Truckee, which is now Donor, uh, high in the mountains. Their food supplies ran low, and in mid-December, some of the group set out on foot to obtain help. Rescuers from Sacramento, California attempted to reach the immigrants, but the first relief party did not arrive until the middle of February 1847, almost four months after the wagon train became trapped. Forty-eight of the 87 members of the Donner Party survived to reach Sacramento. Historians have described the episode as one of the most spectacular tragedies in California history and in the record of Western uh, migration. This is a story of where people literally resorted to cannibalism. When people would die, then they would take that person's body and prepare it to eat. I know this is gruesome and glory, but bear with me a moment. There's also another historical uh, documented occasion. One of the survivors of Andersonville Prison, the Confederate prison in Georgia, related how that hunger stripped all the starving soldiers, the principles of honor, chivalry, and humanity from them. 
he related that two men who had been close friends during the way lay side by side growing weaker as the days went by. Each was waiting for the other to die so that he could take his handful of beans and bread. Finally, one day in his impatience, he choked his friend to death only to die himself a few minutes later. This is the terrible outcome of the siege of hunger. After the king heard the story of the woman in our scripture setting, the Bible said he rent his clothes or he tore his clothes. This is what people did during those days to express their deep-seated emotions of grief and pain and sometimes even anger. And when the king ripped his garments open, when he ripped open the purple robe, if you will, all the people who were standing about him were shocked to see that there was sackcloth underneath his kingly raiment. Let me explain about sackcloth. To put it in our modern day terminology, sackcloth is essentially a burlap sack with two arms cut in the top corners of it to put your arms through and you put that down over your body. It is a form and type of biblical repentance and remorse. You wear the sackcloth or our equivalent of burlap next to your skin. It's rough. It's scratchy. It will leave you chafed and blistered. It's uncomfortable. I don't care what you put over it. It is miserable when sackcloth or burlap is what you're wearing underneath. It doesn't matter what name brand of clothing you put on over it. It doesn't, how, it doesn't matter how well tailored that piece of clothing is. If you're wearing burlap underneath your clothing this morning against your skin, you cannot be comfortable. You cannot be happy. As a matter of fact, you're going to be very miserable. You're going to be scratchy and itchy and very, very uncomfortable. And after a while, you'll be very difficult to deal with. This is what the king was wearing that day in Samaria under his kingly raiment, under the purple robes, under the fine linen garments that he was wearing, with a crown on his head. Underneath, he was miserable. Underneath, he was hurting. Underneath, he was uncomfortable. Underneath, he was full of despair. Underneath, his heart was breaking because he was helpless, virtually helpless to do anything about their situation. I've come to preach to you today a sermon with passion, a sermon with fervency. We all wear sackcloth underneath sometimes. Sackcloth under fine garments reminds me of the invisible burdens that a lot of people have to contend with on a regular basis. I want to say to this crowd of people here today, don't ever second guess, or pardon me, don't ever assume that a smile on a person's face is reflecting what's on the inside of them. Don't ever assume that a skip in the step is necessarily a true indicator of what's going on in that person's life. For all of us, from time to time, wear sackcloth, misery, heartbrokenness, despair, 
hopelessness, under our finest garments, under our finest smile, under our finest disposition, under our greatest personality, there's still something underneath. It can be the cares of life. It can be anxious moments of pressure. It can be furrowed bows over brows of worry. It can be heavy loads of distress. It can be unknown sources of sorrow. It can be difficult demands of responsibility. It can be guilt over some distant mistake. It can be a past, a past sorrow that cannot be shaken. It can be the heavy weight of a wasted opportunity. All of these matters are covered over by purple robes of royalty, except that sometimes they don't look like royalty. Instead, our robes are something far different, and it's much like fig leaves that Adam and Eve attempted to cover themselves with in the Garden of Eden in Genesis chapter 3. I find it remarkable that since man has virtually been in existence, that he has learned the ability to hide what's really on the inside. Instead of royal robes and fig leaves, many seek other coverings for their sackcloth. Listen to pastor. People wear robes of, I'm tough and I can handle it. People wear robes of, I'm holy. That'll preach a while. One of the greatest accusations that's ever been laid at the feet of people, in my opinion, is when Jesus looked at the Pharisees. It said you're white at sepulchers, but you're full of dead men's bones. What you are on the outside is not what you are on the inside. And there's nothing our world hates more than a hypocrite. But people wear robes of holiness when on the inside there's vices. There's the works of the flesh. There's a sin of the spirit going on on the inside. People wear robes of I'm smart and I'm intelligent and I can handle my problems by myself. People wear robes and clothing sometimes and says, I've got my act together and I don't need any help from anybody, including God himself. People wear robes sometimes and says, I can handle my problems all by myself. But if I could pull away the veneer for a little while, I'm preaching my heart out this morning. If I could pull away the veneer for a little while, I have a feeling that I would find some sackcloth underneath. This is why the person who is across the aisle from you right now needs your prayer whether you know they do or not the family you live with needs your encouragement the fact remains that the appearance of kings can sometimes fool us because they may be wearing sackcloth underneath how many of us have experienced friend and family situation where something blows up and things begin to fall apart and we all say, I never knew anything was even going on. Sackcloth underneath. Life passes out to every person a few yards of sackcloth, whether you want it or not. And oftentimes life will make you wear it, whether you want to. Or not, the man who stands firm for truth is going to be given a measure of sackcloth. The woman who wants to develop a prayer life 
and really learn how to pray and touch God is going to be given a measure of sackcloth. The person who appears to have it all under control has their sackcloth. I used to be easily deceived. I guess I was naive when I was much younger and I would look at families and say, man, don't they have their act together? Man, I, if I could live in their house and that family, everything would be perfect. And then you find out years later when a divorce comes and kids turn out haywire, you realize that beyond the veneer and behind the facade and beyond their kingly raiment and where everything looks normal is sackcloth of misery and heartache and heartbreak. All of us have had our share of sackcloth and I venture to say today that there's people sitting in this room that's wearing more sackcloth right now than you choose to. Somebody said one time we do not see visible burdens in our day that people carry no outward pack on their shoulders, but they stoop inwardly beneath a heavy load on their heart. The worst burdens are those that never meet the eye. The Tenth Commandment is probably the one that has been broken by all men more perhaps than the rest. And often we don't even consider the penalties for having broken the tenth of the commandments. The tenth commandment says, Thou shalt not covet. Covetousness leads one to envy. A man said one time, Envy like the sun beats with its scorching rays on everything that is high and great and different. Envy, like Haman, hangs itself on the gallows it builds for others. What most people do not realize is that the ones we may envy the most are the ones wearing the most sackcloth. There is something to what Paul wrote to Timothy in 1 Timothy chapter 6 and verse 6. He said, Godliness with contentment is great gain. Godliness with contentment is great gain. The wise man said in Proverbs chapter 30 and verse 8, Give me neither poverty nor riches. Feed me with food convenient for me. How do you respond to people who's wearing sackcloth? If we could all remember that sackcloth often hides beneath the finest clothes, the loftiest of positions, the most educated minds, and the wealthiest of the world. It could all affect, it could affect all for the better. There are secret and hidden burdens in the lives of all men and all women that should deliver us from envy and instead hand us off to compassion and care. An understanding of that could help all of us. I can't preach it loud enough I can't preach it strong enough. I can't preach it fervent enough. But I'm here to introduce you folks to a concept that we all need to wake up to. That the very people that sometimes we're the most envious of are the very people that are wearing the most sackcloth underneath. Paul said wisely and profoundly, that I have learned therefore that whatever state I'm in, therewith to be content. Godliness, 
Godliness, the Bible said, with contentment is great gain. We need to understand that everyone around us is wearing their share of sackcloth and life isn't always what it seems. If we could learn it, it would take the edge off of our tongue. It would take away the bitter criticism. It would cure the anger and the malice in the soul. And it can relieve us of rash and bitter judgment we make towards people. Everybody here today is wearing sackcloth. In one way or another, we all are. There's something that life has brought our way that has made us somewhat miserable. And where we're the envy of some people, where we're the envy of some people, we should be the recipient of their compassion. I've grown to despise the attitude that people have towards others when tragedy comes their way that said they had it coming. We all have it coming. We all have it coming. Every one of us has our shortcomings. And the people you envy should be the people you're most compassionate towards. Has it ever crossed your mind that the man or woman you see dressed in purple could be on their knees in a desperate place of very struggling and intense prayer? The longer we live, if we're honest with ourselves and the circumstances of others, we will find that there are always a few more details about the situation that you may not be aware of. And if you can remember that, it'll help you in your life. Max Licato said, and this is an awesome point to me. He's one of my favorite authors. In his book, Traveling the Light, and I read it years ago, he tells of going to the most famous art museum in the world. It's in Paris, France. It is loaded with paintings, paintings by Rembrandt, Van Gogh, and other famous painters of the bygone era. He confesses while he was at the museum that he went to sleep on one of the benches in that museum. Everyone else around him was enthralled by all the paintings, but he was asleep. He wrote the reason that he went to sleep was from jet lag and then having to drag huge amounts of luggage in and out of airports and taxis and hotels. He said he was tired. He was worn out from all the work that was involved in taking a vacation. And his weariness caused him to miss one of the greatest moments of his life. I just don't feel like you folks are hearing me. Every one of us are sitting here today with some measure of regret that moments that life has presented and we didn't act on it. Moments that life could have propelled us in a positive direction. But we got lazy and we got tired and we were frustrated. There's people here today that's missed awesome moments to pursue the kingdom and a relationship with God because you were tired with work stress. You were tired with marital stress. You were tired with parental express. 
We put on sackcloth and it's miserable against our skin. And then we pile on the normal us and we walk around with a smile pretending everything is okay when on the inside we are screaming, we are raging, we are dying on the inside. Sackcloth can do the very same thing to you. It can wear you out. Here, Pastor, today, there's sackcloth of self-reliance that people wear. Sackcloth of discontentment and weariness and worry and regret and hopelessness and guilt and sickness and fear and loneliness and shame and disappointment and doubt. We all wear it and we've all missed great opportunities because of it. The day that Jesus went to the well and found the woman of Samaria there. The woman of Samaria. Many years later past our scripture setting, the woman of Samaria he gazed at someone who was clothed in many yards of sackcloth but instead of being judgmental and critical and mean and harsh now granted she had her water pot and she was dressed normal the average person would have never known her situation, nor given much plight. But could it be, could it be that Jesus had the story of our scripture setting in his mind and said there was a woman in Samaria that had on so much sackcloth, she boiled her baby and ate it. But today I'm going to meet another woman from Samaria and she has more sackcloth and she knows what to do with it. So he said, I'm going to begin the conversation by asking her a question. He said, I want you to go home and get your husband. And she said, I'm not married. He was not being judgmental. He was meant of ministering to her. He said, you're right, you're not married. You have a boyfriend, you're living with a man. But you have been married five times. I want to strip you. going to have to wear another name. And the Bible said that Samaritan woman went back to her village and said, come see a man that has told me everything I need, but did it in order to minister to her and to love her. There's people sitting in this building right now, you're so miserable. Your marriage is miserable. You're miserable as a parent. You're miserable as a kid. And you've been wearing sackcloth for years. Come here. And who knows how you take the sackcloth away. Still dress you normal. On the outside you still look normal. But on the inside the pain Somebody told me this morning, and I'm not going to call their name, but they said, Pastor, it just seems like in the past couple of days, 
had no idea what I was preaching today. But just in the past couple of weeks, it's like God has strengthened me in my spirit. I want to say, my God, this person has no clue what I'm preaching today. How are they doing this? How are they saying this? I didn't give my message away to them either at that point. But I am now. God knows how. Listen to Pastor. God knows how to take off your sackcloth against your skin without ever leaving you naked and exposed. He does it without causing shame. He does it without causing embarrassment. Don't you remember what Jesus said when he read out of the prophecy of the Old Testament when he stood in the temple in Luke chapter 4? He said, I have come to heal them that are bruised, to set free those that are captive, to restore sight to the blind, to heal the lame. You'll never find one single scripture setting where Jesus ever stripped somebody of their sackcloth, where it embarrassed them, where it made them feel feel small and degraded and insignificant. There's people here today that's wearing the sackcloth of marriage, of parenting, of schooling, the job. If you get too much sackcloth, it'll make you start doing crazy things. You'll start thinking crazy to the point that you can eat your own baby. Did you hear me? Hunger can drive people to do some things that they never believed they would do. There's people here today that's living a lifestyle right now that 10, 15 years ago you'd have never believed it if somebody would have told you. But little by little, sin is mummifying your body in sackcloth. And where you appear to wear a smile and we laugh and we live life and we go to work deep down on the inside. There's nothing but pain and hunger and discontentment. Come near me. I don't know that through all of Jesus' ministry, that according to Jewish parameters, he ministered to somebody so inappropriate. It's not even right for you to be talking to a Samaritan. You understand they're half Jew and half Gentiles and nobody loves them and they're they're the outcast of society and they live in their own section of town and they don't even come. Samaritan women don't even come to the well when Jewish women do. They come after the Jewish women. It's, it's a, a mindset of prejudice and injustice. It's insane and Jesus boldly walked up to the woman and said give me something to drink and she said who are you being a Jew ask me for something to drink he said if you knew who I was if you had any idea who I was I could give you water and when you drink of it you'll never thirst again go home and get your husband Jesus began to peel off the sackcloth one layer at a time, one layer at a time, one layer at a time. Come near to me. Come near to me. 
and take away all of your sorrow. As a matter of fact, Jesus said, I know how to turn your sorrow into joy. What used to grieve you can now be a source of joy and comfort to you. Come unto me, he said, all you that labor and are heavy laden, and I'll give you rest. There's somebody here today that's, your heart is dying to be involved. You want to move further into the kingdom of God than you ever have. You want to you be able to contribute your gifts and your talents, but you can't because you're mummified inside that binds everything you want to do. Come out and take off the sackcloth this morning. First time in your life you can really be you and not have to hide who you are. If you'll stand with me this morning. Sister Murphy fusses at me sometimes about my transparency. He said, you tell too much about yourself. All I'm trying to do is tell you how badly throughout my life that life has wrapped me up in sackcloth, burlap against the skin. But every time I went to Jesus with it, he would so gently, kindly, and mercifully take it all away. And all due respect this morning, but here's a little girl. A little girl, not no more. Sometimes kids have a way of growing up right in front of your face and you miss it. But life has had a million opportunities to wrap Brianna up in sackcloth and to take away her joy and future and destiny. But this little girl says, no, I'm going to go meet a man named Jesus. And he's going to give me a destiny and a purpose. He's going to give me a reason for living. I refuse. I refuse to be mummified in sackcloth. God is talking to somebody today. There's two or three people here right now. I could walk back and take you by the hand. You're so wrapped up in sackcloth right now, it's hard to even worship. You don't even feel like you can pray good because you're so wrapped up in just life. God seems to be something distant and intangible and unreachable. But I'm proclaiming with everything in me today, come meet a man. Come meet my friend that's taken more burdens than I can carry, that's given me more hope than I can imagine. Come meet a man. Come meet a man. Some have already come. But while Casey's playing and singing, I'm going to ask everybody, as our custom is, to just come stand around the front. Bring your tears. Bring your sackcloth. Bring your burdens.